Well, I'm excited because the biggest cheer there was being Josh's dad. That's awesome. Amen. It's great to be with you. If you have a Bible, please open with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. If you need some help finding it, it's page 862 in those pew Bibles. And the theme that I want to speak on briefly this morning, I'm calling when we open our mouths. When we open our mouths. And in particular, I'm thinking about when we open our mouths to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. When we open our mouths. So the passage I'm going to focus on is Acts 8, uh, verses 26 down to 40. But just before I read those first few verses, just think of the context. Right, if you follow in the book of Acts, remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. And then he says in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and then even to the very ends of the earth. That's in Acts 1, 8. But as you keep on reading, it's not until Acts chapter 8, verse 1 that the gospel actually goes outside of Jerusalem. And the reason that it goes outside there or what God uses is suffering and persecution. And because of that, the gospel goes to Samaria. And one of the ministers there is Philip, one of the deacons, a Grecian Jewish man. And he actually is one of the first models of cross-cultural ministry that we find in the New Testament. So let's pick up in uh, verse 26. And I'm just going to read the first couple of verses here and pray. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. This is God's word. Let me open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word testifies about itself, that it's living and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And the good news of that is that means that you're able to get beneath the surface with us. You're able to get to our thoughts, our minds, our attitudes, our very hearts. We pray that you would do that in this time we have together. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place already. We pray that you would speak and you would move, help us understand what we read. But not only that, fill us with yourself, fill us with power so that we can live and walk in light of what you talk about here in this passage to tell us what we do when we open our mouths. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Is there anybody from Baltimore that's here? Any Baltimore folks here? Well, before we moved to St. Louis, I pastored a church in inner city Baltimore for 13 years. And, and oftentimes I would get called on to do funerals of people that I didn't know just because they would be connected with our ministry in some way. And, and I was called to do a funeral for a young man, maybe a little bit older than you guys, who had been shot and killed in an act of street violence with one neighborhood kind of fighting against another and, and caught in that cycle of violence that 
you might imagine. So I got called to do his funeral, and so we go through the service, and, I, and it, was a room, it was in a funeral home, not a church, but it was a room that was packed like this one. In fact, there were people standing up. There were so many people, most of them younger, people around the same age as this young man who'd been killed. And I got, my, the part came for me to come up to speak, and what I said when I got up is I said, guys, listen, you don't have to leave. Now, why do you think I would say that? Because oftentimes I'd done funerals like this, I'd been to funerals like this, and that is when the preacher stands up to give the message, people get up and start walking out without hearing it. Now, why do you think that is, right? Because we'd be tempted to say, oh, that's so disrespectful. They don't want to hear the word of God. But actually what's happened, and actually I've done, I had done this, what's going through the pastor's mind is you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting an opportunity to preach and maybe these guys will never set foot in a church service. So I've got to make sure that I really give it to them right now. And so what happens is, is you would stand up in a context like this and the preacher, and I've done this, will often say, you know what, you guys, you need to clean up your act, you need to stop shooting each other, you need to stop being involved with that, you need to get a job, get in school and all these different things. And so you're beating them up with all of these things and then they get up and walk out. And so what happens is by the time that you get to actually talking about Jesus, ain't nobody else there except the church people. And they go, oh, they missed a good word, pastor. And they missed a good word because you chased them out. Because of how you opened your mouth. And I did it. And so that particular time I stood up and I said, guys, you don't have to leave. Because I'm not going to beat you up. We're going to talk about Jesus. And then most of them stayed. And we got to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. So what about us? What happens when we open our mouths? How can we do that in a way that doesn't chase away everybody that we're trying to share this good news with? How do we open our mouths? Well, this passage is going to help us. And I was wondering, what about the shoe thing up here on the stage? Is this so the, the preacher gets to pick whichever his favorite pair is? Oh, that's great. Because I see some Jordans up here. That's, that's really it. Amen. So what do we learn from them, all right? So we want to look at this. First of all, the first point, if you will, that we want to look at is what they do before they open their mouth. What do we do before we open our mouths? So let's look at the passage. And there's an openness that you see here in this passage. In verse 26, again, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And then what does it say in verse 27? He rose and he went. And then if you go down a little bit later, verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and then listened to him. And so the first openness that you see before you open your mouth is there's an openness of spirit, an openness and a sensitivity to go wherever it is. The Holy Spirit would call you to go when he calls you to go there, and that's what we see in this man. What else do we see? If you pick up in verse 27, it says he rose and went, and then it tells us a little bit about the man that he went to talk to. It says that he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, 
and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So what do we learn about this guy just from those things that it tells us? Well, one thing is this guy is powerful, right? Because it tells us he's the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. So he has great power. Not only that, not only is he powerful, he's also rich. He's also wealthy. How can we tell that? He has his own chariot. And this is not like a war chariot. This is kind of like a, a Lincoln Navigator chariot, right? It's a luxury kind of thing that he's riding. And he has his own Isaiah scroll. So that means he's, he's powerful and he's wealthy. And not only that, he's educated because he's able to take it and he's able to read it. And so he has a lot going for him, doesn't he? What else, though, can we tell about him from just that description? He's also, what did I say he was? What was his job? He's a, he's a eunuch. And so what does that mean? Often that describes a man who has been castrated. Why? Enabled to, to be able to work among the royal family, if you're not related to them, the men would have to be castrated so that they could trust them to be able to work around the women. And so what we can tell about this man is he's powerful and he's wealthy and he's educated. But guess what? It cost him a great price, didn't it? To get to where he was. Maybe some of you feel this way already. You, you do all the things that people say you're supposed to do to succeed. Right? Everything everybody says, every box that you have to check off to be able to make it. And you do everything and yet you still find yourself as an outsider. And that's what this man would have experienced. He had all these things, but he's a double outsider. He's going to be rejected by his own people. He's going to be rejected by people that are different than he is. Maybe some of you know what that feels like. You might not feel like you're at home anywhere. Well, that's what this man went through. But what do we see? This is the person that God sends Philip to. And so not only does he have an openness of spirit, he also has an openness of heart to go to whoever it is that God would call him to go, and that's what he did. And then finally, this final instance of openness here in the verse, it says, uh, verse 30, he ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And then he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And, the, and he said, verse 31, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And then look at what happened. It says he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So can you picture that in your mind? Right there in this wonderful chariot, here is an Ethiopian eunuch and this Grecian Jewish man sitting together reading Isaiah the prophet. Amazing. But what did he do? He had an openness not only of heart, not only of spirit, but an openness of ears. Before he started preaching anything, how did he know that it, the guy was reading Isaiah the prophet? It's not a trick question. He heard him. He was listening. And then what did he do after that? He asked him questions. And then the guy invited him to come up. And then he accepted the invitation. And there he is. All of this takes place before he opens his mouth to tell him about Jesus. And that's so instructive for us. An openness of spirit for us. As you're looking at this passage and you're reading really through the book of Acts, do you see how God, how intentional God is to bring these people together? God is working in them behind the scenes. They didn't know that, but God did. And in your own life, maybe you can think about or point back to people that, 
seem to come along just at the right time and say just the right thing and do just the right thing with you to move in your heart towards God. That wasn't an accident. God did that. God orchestrated that. And how might he be doing that with us? And then what did we see here in terms of an openness of heart? On the one hand, look at God's intentionality in reaching out to this man who would be considered an outcast by so many people. Maybe there's some people in this room that know what it feels like to be an outcast, to know what it feels like to feel invisible or feel like nobody wants to be with me or nobody cares about me or nobody sees me. Maybe that man felt like that, but here, what do you see? God saw him. And God sent his minister right to that man. And so I say that to you for a couple reasons. One, to say if you're feeling that way today, that God sees you. And there's people around you who are probably feeling exactly the same way. And God may put them in your path so that we have an openness of heart towards them. And then finally, openness of ears. What we learn from him is just to listen and to ask questions and then to cross the boundaries when we're invited in. Who might you do that with? Who comes to mind as you think about those very things? I encourage you to take the step that God, whatever it is that God has put on your heart to do. That's all before we open our mouths. That's the first point. Secondly, what happens when we open our mouths, right? We said before, but what happens when? Well, what happened when Philip opened his mouth? Well, we come to the passage again. Verse 32. He starts right where the man is. It says the man, as he's listening, the passage of the scripture that he's reading was this. And this is from Isaiah 53. It says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So this is what the eunuch is reading about. And then verse 34, he asks Philip a question. He says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And here in our translation, it says, I ask you. But really the force of that word is, I beg you, please. It's like he's grabbing him by the collar saying, please tell me, who is this talking about? Please Please tell me. Now, why would he be asking so urgently? What has he just been reading about? Somebody who suffered humiliation, who's been denied justice, who's been cut off from the earth. Let's think about it for a second about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? I said he came from Ethiopia. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship, right, in the temple. So what would have happened to him when he got there? What would happen when he got to the temple? When he showed up there, he might have traveled for months to go and worship in the temple. And what would have happened when he got there? He wouldn't have made it inside. He wouldn't have made it past the outer court. They'd say, hold, hold on. You are not welcome here. Because of the color of your skin and because of your status as a eunuch. Now, I don't know how they'd find that out, but I guess they, they would. But he traveled all that way 
gone to all that trouble. He'd wanted so much to go to the temple. And what would have happened to him when he got there? He'd have been turned away and not even allowed to go near. All because of his status and his race. So now, why do you think he cares so much about reading about somebody who was denied justice and humiliated? Whose life had been cut off. And what does Philip do? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. That's where I got the title from. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now that seems so simple, but it's so profound, right? What did he do first of all? He started right where this man was right with what this guy was reading, right with what was on his heart at the time. And then what did he do? He told him the good news about Jesus. And that's so instructive for us. It isn't just that he told him the facts about Jesus. What he told him was the good news about Jesus. And what was the good news for that man? The good news is there's somebody else who's had justice denied him. There's somebody else who's been humiliated. There's somebody else whose life was cut off on purpose for you. And that's Jesus Christ. That's why it's good news. That's what we learn when we open our mouths. And so how does that challenge us? Well, one, we start right with people where people are. As you're reading through Acts, it's amazing how the different ways that you see them present Jesus to the people that they're talking to. In Acts 13, Paul is talking to an audience where they're very familiar with the Bible. And so he starts with the Old Testament and he starts from there and leads them to Jesus. But then in Acts 17, he's in a context where nobody knows anything about the Bible. And so he starts there with the poets of their culture, with the, the Kendrick Lamar, the Drake, whoever it is, little baby, uncle baby, whatever. They start with there. And, and he takes them from there to Jesus. And that is the call for us. We start right with where people are. And what do we do? We tell them not just the facts about Jesus, but we tell them the good news about Jesus. You say, well, people are often rejecting Jesus, but I wonder what Jesus are they rejecting? Sometimes what people are rejecting is not the real Jesus. But that what they're rejecting is that we've preached a Jesus or we created a Jesus made in our own image. What they've rejected is consumer Jesus. What they might have rejected is political Jesus. What they might have rejected is something that we've tried to create in our own image. And not the real Jesus of the scripture, the one who's fully God and who's fully man who came to give sight to the blind and life to the dead, to bring those in darkness into the light. This is our call, to bring them not to the fake Jesus, not to a Jesus that's created after our own self-interest, but to the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures. That's why it's such good news. And so we've seen here what happens before we open our mouths and what happens when we do. And finally, what happens after? What happens here in the passage? Well, if you pick up in verse 36, here it says, As they're going along the road, they came to some water. 
and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, in, your, in our Bibles, it skips right from 36 to 38. Because verse 37, they'll say this wasn't in the original manuscript. But it's kind of assuming what happened there after he told him about Jesus and when he wants to get baptized. And some of the verse 37 says this. If you believe with all your heart in Jesus Christ, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then Philip baptized him. Now, what's, what is Philip doing here after he opens his mouth? And when he opens his mouth, what, what happens here? What is he doing? When he baptizes him, he's connecting him to the entire body of Christ. It's not just him and Jesus, but he's connecting him to the whole body of Christ. You say, what, what's the significance of that? Do you, do you remember the guy's question here in verse 38? Or excuse me, uh, verse 36. He says, see, here's water. And what did he ask? What prevents me from being baptized? Why would he ask that? Because he's already been prevented from going into the temple to worship. And now he's saying, you're telling me this good news about Jesus. What's going to prevent me now from being part of the family of God? And Philip says, nothing. Nothing prevents you from being a part of God's family. Through Jesus Christ, you are a beloved son of God. With you, God is well pleased today. And that's what he says of anyone who comes to Jesus. There's nothing that prevents you. And so when we, after we open our mouths, we connect people to the entire body of Christ. And then what happens here as we go along, it says verse 39, when they came up out of the water, look at what happens. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But then it says Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What else happened after he opened his mouth to proclaim the good news of Jesus? On the one hand, he connected him to the whole body of Christ. And then what else happened after is they continued on to wherever it is the Spirit of God would call them. For Philip, that meant he would go to another city. Right? He's not saying, oh man, this is great. I'm retiring now. I'm continuing on in where the Spirit of God would lead me next. And then what about the Ethiopian eunuch? Where did he go back to? He went home. Where's home? Ethiopia, right? So do you understand what that means? When did the gospel go to Africa? And we say, oh, maybe 15th century, 16th century, 17th, first century. Here. The gospel's going to Africa Here. The legend has it that this guy actually became the bishop of the church in Ethiopia. At the very least, he's a missionary in Ethiopia, in his home country. In the very first century, he takes the gospel to Africa. Powerful, amazing. We see this after we open our mouths. So what does that say to us before, as we get ready to close? One, see that nothing prevents 
not just the eunuch, but nothing prevents you from being in the body of Christ today through faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that prevents you from coming to him. Not where you're from, not what you look like, not what you've done. There's nothing that prevents you. The same Jesus Christ that suffered and died and rose from the dead for the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip also did the same for you. And so he wants you to come. And then it also says to us, we've got to be careful that we're not putting up barriers that God did not intend for us to create to keeping people out. And here's another thing we need to do is be able to see ourselves and show other people where they fit within the story of God. What do I mean by that? Have you ever taken a group picture, right, maybe in your class or for a team or on your job or maybe your floor, right, you've been in a group picture? Let me ask you, when you look at the group picture, who do you look for first? <laughs> Yourself, right? You want to see, was I having a good hair day that day? How did I look? Right in the picture. You look for yourself in that picture. But what happens if you're not in the group picture? You'd be like, all right, that's nice. That's great. Great. All right. You're not that interested, right? But when you're in it, you care very much about that picture. We need to show people that they are in the picture of God's story. In our community where we are in St. Louis, oftentimes what we have to tell people, guys, Christianity is not the white man's religion. Because that's what they've been told to believe by these cults that are pulling people away. And saying, no, we really care about you. There's, you're, there's no part for you in that story. Yes, there is. We got to show them. We've got to show people that they're in the story. There is no one race that has the market cornered on the gospel. It's for every tribe and language and people and nation. And we have to be able to show people where they are in the picture of God's story. And then finally, we go on our way rejoicing. <laughs> Wherever it is that God has called us to to go. I don't know where it is God's called you to go. I don't know what God has in mind for you tomorrow or myself either. But wherever it is, go. And go on that way rejoicing. For whatever it is that God has for you and whoever he puts on your path, this is what we do after we open our mouths. This is what we do when we open our mouths. This is what we do before we open our mouths, and you say, well, where do I get the strength and power to do that? We do that all along the way with our eyes fixed, not on ourselves, not on our own strength, not our own, our own record, but we do that with our eyes fixed on the one who, as Isaiah said, did not open his mouth when he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. We open our mouths with our eyes fixed on the one who wasn't just like a lamb or like a sheep, but who was the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. We do this. We open our mouths with our eyes fixed on the one 
who with his blood purchased people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation that we might be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. That's what we do when we open our mouths. We do it with our eyes fixed on the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where you know what he does now. He intercedes for you. He intercedes for us as we open our mouths to share the good news of Jesus Christ in the world that he's placed us in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what happened before we open our mouths. We thank you for what happens when we do. We thank you for what happens after. Lord, help us to do that effectively and help us to do that with our eyes fixed, not on ourselves, not on our own strength, not even on our own weakness but with our eyes fixed on the one who's done this for us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us again with power, fill us with yourself, that we might glorify you as we open our mouths to the world around us that so desperately needs it. So Lord, lead us, use us, guide us, we pray as we leave this place. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.